Divorce affects the design of a family. How do you negotiate now to avoid complications and ease tensions down the road, especially when it comes to a new step or blended family? Today, I will speak with Dr. Marjorie Engel, divorce negotiation and step family expert, to help us learn how to negotiate a healthy future after divorce. I'm Sharon Pastore, and this is the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Let's move forward. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. Please welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. I am thrilled to introduce our topic today, which is negotiating a healthy future. And just a moment on this is that it has been a topic that um, those of you who have been traveling with me for a couple of years now, it's a topic we've never covered before in the sense of um, people had asked me a number of times to talk about, well, you know, how does the divorce affect life after the divorce, and particularly lots of people would ask me about, you know, what about forming families on the other side? And so I wanted to really take a look of, you know, not only considering what happens in forming new families on the other side of divorce once we're done, but how can the decisions that we make and the choices that we make while we're going through the divorce actually impact so that, you know, we can be mindful from the very start. And so that is the focus of our conversation today, to kind of peek into the future, uh, you know, from this moment of even preparing for divorce or just negotiating it now, seeing how it can affect things in the future. We also want to invite people to have a better understanding of what the terms blended and step families are and, you know, how the things that... um, come out in the negotiations now will really affect things in the future. So um, to do this, I am definitely not doing all of this by myself, but I have a wonderful guest on today, Dr. Marjorie Engel, um, who is a divorce negotiation and step family expert. She's an author, speaker, media consultant specializing in families that are complicated by divorce and remarriage. Her specific areas of expertise are in family law finance and social policy, in, sorry, law, finance, family finance, law, and social policy. She's a past president of the Step Family Association of America, founding member of the National Step Family Resource Center at Auburn University and its Step, and, and its step Family Council, Expert Council. She also participates in projects of the Uniform Law Commission that provides states with nonpartisan, well-conceived, and well-drafted legislation that brings clarity and stability to critical areas of statutory law. She's currently observing the work of the Drafting Committee on Non-Parental Rights to Child Custody and Visitation. She's also a member of a stepfamily herself for 30 years. She has five daughters, combination of her biological and stepchildren, five son-in-laws, 16 grandchildren, and one great-grandson. 
giving a large step family an age range from one month to 76 years. So she has been not only working in this, but certainly living it for a long time. And her daughters were teenagers when she and their father um, ended their marriage. And so Marjorie, like I cannot be more excited to have you with us today. (laughs) Thanks very much. Wow. What an introduction. (laughs) Well, you know, you've been doing quite a lot, so it is quite an introduction. And, you know, as I just pointed out, really excited to be doing this today because certainly I know that when people are at the threshold of divorce, you know, sometimes, you know, thinking about a future family might be on the mind. Sometimes it might be like the furthest thing from the mind. But we do know that many people will remarry and repartner and, you know, expand families in different ways after marriage, after divorce. And so the fact of our taking a moment here to to stop and step back and really think about how things that we do even now at the beginning stage of divorce can affect that future, I think is just such a golden opportunity. So I'm so grateful that you're here with us to do that. Well, you're welcome. And I'm grateful that you brought this issue up because after almost 30 years of working in this field, it's the first time that I've been asked to talk about uh, the fact that divorce, dating, and remarriage is a process, not an event at a point in time. And most people don't consider what's going to happen later. You're absolutely right. Uh, I, uh, I'll never do this again is one of the favorite things that people think of as they're going through the divorce, but 60% of them do. Right. Right, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm surprised, actually, that it's only 60%, but, you know, it, that's definitely more than half. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a good chance, right, that we will repartner in some way or another, and we might expand our family, especially given whatever, you know, age we might be at. And so, you know, this really is an amazing time to be stepping back. And um, so, you know, Marjorie, we have, I'm sitting here looking at our notes even for this conversation, and we have so much to cover <laughs> that I, I already encourage people to have a notepad and pen with them. So one of the places that I wanted to start since I know that many of the callers that are on are either at the early stages of divorce or beginning um, a divorce or in the midst of it, where there's still opportunity to be thinking about the choices that they make now and how they might affect the future. And so, you know, I want to start there. And you had a tremendous experience in really helping people to draft pieces of agreements, or at least inform how agreements were drafted. And so you're in a great position to really help us think about the difference, the financial, legal, practical, and emotional components of what happens in the divorce. So we're going to launch in there and, and look at each of those four components, and I'm going to make sure we keep it moving because we got a lot of ground to cover here. So I'm going to do both of those things. But you know, if somebody is at the stage now where they were either beginning the divorce process or in the midst of it and they can affect things or be thinking about things, you know, what are some of the things financially that people might want to be considering because it could affect their future? I'm happy to share that. Uh, there are obviously many, but maybe we'll just stick to a couple of the probably most important things. One of them is that people fight to retain the house. Uh, That's typically the largest financial asset, and if you're working with a lawyer, they want to win, and keeping the house and keeping the children are two of the big things that are considered winners. But fighting to retain the house may not be your most uh, effective financial thing to do. 
first of all, do you have personal credit rating that will allow you to buy out your partner? You know, typically one, one of the adults makes payments for appreciating assets and the other partner covers depreciating ones such as food, clothing, and other expenses without a paper trail and without building credit. So can you afford to buy out your partner's interest so that you have a clear title and full credit for mortgage payments? Uh, remember that there's an advantageous tax system when a sale is part of a divorce. But if you wait until later, you're taking care of all of that yourself. Do you have the ability to maintain all of the payments? And another problem I've noticed recently is that the economy has been having trouble absorbing divorcing women who want to get back in the workforce. So that may also be something that you consider. In addition, uh, you've got the sinking value of homes today and that there's no shared expense when you're prepping for the sale. When you're talking about going to the future, you're looking at the new partner and how they're going to feel about the house. First, I'll tell you that research indicates that getting a new place for everyone is the better way to go if the finances in the housing market make it possible. Why might a new partner not want to move into the house? Well, they just might be able, uh, be able to be interested in sharing that former home. You know, they're old ghosts. The kids have to switch bedrooms around or share their bedrooms. Uh, maybe the new partner is being expected to sleep in the former partner's bed. And one that comes up over and over is the children not wanting anything moved from where mom placed it. So the step-parent coming in, is moving into someone else's house where they have very little say about how their home is arranged and works. Another financial thing is the life insurance. Well, I just want to pause before we go into it. Sure. I just want to, you know, the house is such a huge piece, and I really think that what you've just said about, you know, and we don't think about this. We think about keeping the house because it feels so dear. It feels where the memories are. It feels where the kids, you know, already have a sense of safety. But this idea of bringing anyone else into our life, that then that person is stepping in to that space where all the memories were, where all the history is, and they weren't part of that. And so, you know, I I think it's really important to just underscore what you've said there as people are thinking about the house. And again, you know, may not be thinking about new partners yet, but statistics are telling us that many people will have that new partner and um, people will recouple and that it's challenging. And then if they try to sell it, then they've missed some, you know, financial benefit um, to do it. So I, I, I think what you said there is really important and I just want to underscore it. And then, so I'll let you go on to the next piece, but I wanted well, to... Well, sure. I, I actually was just going to uh, mention one more since our time is short, but it comes up again and again also, and that's being the life insurance beneficiary. Uh, that's one of the things that people want to do when they're setting up a new relationship, whether it's married or not, uh, but if they're repartnering. And you need to realize that divorces are becoming more sophisticated these days, and women are saying, hmm, uh, you know, the spouse has all these financial obligations, but how do I make sure they happen? And so... uh, Life insurance policies are being used as collateral for meeting financial obligations. And until they're paid off, the uh, the person cannot change the beneficiary. Now, then you're looking at create, getting a new policy, but it's going to be quite a bit more expensive. You're older. 
you're more likely to have pre-existing medical conditions, and the actual cost of the divorce and the division of all of your property means that you've probably got very little extra cash to do that right away. So a life insurance is something where you make a decision as part of the divorce as what's going to be with it and whether you have the ability to change the uh, beneficiary. Right, so that's a really important, you know, piece to be thinking about for how it's going to affect the future. So, you know, in terms of going into the next piece, as we said, you know, there were financial and then there were some also legal things that we would want to consider because of how they might affect our life down the road. And, you know, there's some really critical things here that, you know, some of them get highlighted, I think, when people are going through divorce and some of them can easily slip through the cracks <laughs> when people are going through a divorce. So what are some of the things that may be affected legally or part of the, the legal divorce that we'd want to consider because of their implications? Well, with the big picture, recognize that you're unable to make changes for a new partnership if the old one isn't legally completed. And there are a lot of legal aspects to this. Uh, you've got meeting the terms of the divorce agreement regarding finances, child support, uh, visitation, and even little things like regular and on time for picking up and returning the children. These were all agreed upon at a specific point in time. But as life goes on, life makes changes. So a question I I would raise is, is there a procedure that you've spelled out in the divorce agreement for addressing the unseen or the not thought about changes? And basically, I'm asking you, does every new challenge that comes up, and they will be there, does it require lawyers and courts to make the decision? Right, and I think that this is such a huge point because sometimes even just figuring out the here and now can feel like a long road for partners to do. And if we don't have a process in place for what will happen, because if the kids were three and seven when they divorce, well, life's going to look really differently when they are, you know, four and eight or when they're nine and, you know, 13. So at each stage, things are going to change. If we repartner, if somebody's financial situation and if there isn't a process, like what do we do next? And do we both agree and know how it will happen and can it happen without major financial commitments? I mean, that's huge. But it, it is huge and it's the sort of thing that virtually never comes up when you're doing a divorce agreement unless you bring it up. I don't know, for some reason, people seem to think that the divorce agreement fit for a place in time is just going to be good forever, and it's not. I have to emphasize, it is not. So there are some, a few other things, though, while you're doing this process. Uh, changes in documents, and I'm talking about things such as wills, medical directives, life insurance, which I mentioned earlier, but credit card accounts as well. If you have not taken your spouse or the former partner off as a named person being able to use all these things, then you can't put another person on, plus you have stayed connected financially and you're at risk. So you want to make sure that you have done those things. And then you've got you know, the, the daily stuff, the non-legal documents that can make life easier or harder. Have you changed your mailing address? Have you let schools and doctors and magazines know where you are? Those kinds of things. But going back to the uh, the financial piece of it, um, 
you need to promptly address any new changes that come up. And I'm thinking of things like a lost job. You may need to move in order to get a new job that meets your skills and, and talents. But usually divorce agreements will say, uh-uh, parent can't move a child away from this area. So you need a way to talk with your spouse about making this move perhaps and how you will work it out, all the daily kinds of things like who will drive where, will we meet halfway and so forth. But there are other things uh, that can change your life entirely. It could be a very serious illness on the part of anyone in the family or a child's special needs, and, and they can go from a learning disability to special talents. Again, how do you deal with these things as they come up? Right, and I'm, you know, as you're even saying that list, like my mind is starting to go, as I imagine is happening for the listeners too, like, oh my gosh, right? You know, like there are all these things and they're perfectly plausible. There's serious illnesses. There's, you know, somebody's parent gets sick and they've got to go and be a caregiver. You know, what happens to the custody schedule then? Or what happens if I, as you said, need to move for a job and things like that? And, you know, I guess, Marjorie, one of my questions would be from, you know, all the years that you sent, spent supporting people and doing this, and it's one of, like, I guess the big golden questions that's running through my mind is when two people are negotiating their divorce agreement, um, how do they get to the place where they can talk about what might happen in the future? Like, sometimes it can be so hard to talk about the now. (laughs) How do they get to the talking about what will happen in the future? Yeah, Adina, it circles back to having a statement in the divorce agreement about how we will address the crazies in life that come up after we have signed this agreement and moved our separate ways. Yeah, and I know that, you know, have you seen any differences in your work, you know, couples who are mediating, how this happens there, how it happens, you know, if they're working with attorneys, but like how this plays out in different processes? Uh, yes, and essentially, Adina, it depends upon the attitude of the, of the couple. You know, are they willing to do counseling or mediation? Uh, do they feel that they can do this divorce primarily by themselves and just ask the lawyer to put a stamp of approval on it and then the judge? Uh, so it's attitude, and I'll be talking about attitude before we finish this conversation. But here, when I'm talking about the legal examples, uh, it's just fact. These things happen, and you need to say, hey, we have no idea what they may be in the future, but we need a way of coming together and talking about it and resolving the problems that come up. Right. And I know as we talk about attitude later that, you know, it'll be something we come back to. But as I think about, you know, the clients that I've seen who've gone through mediation and then who've gone through working with attorneys, you know, I think of, you know, the clients who are who do go through mediation who, you know, can come to the table, you know, I've seen them be able to have some of these conversations, like what will it look like and how will we make changes and how will we think about that because they're actually talking to each other. So right. I think they're, you know, I imagine that people who are have the attitude or the predisposition to come to mediation are, you know, know, have, you know, even greater resources to bring to the table to have some of that dialogue. (laughs) You're right. And unless you have an exceptional lawyer who helps you think toward the future, uh, if you're just letting lawyers and judges make all the decision for you, you're not going to have a good divorce. These problems are going to come up and they're going to haunt you over and over and over again in the future. Yeah. 
So let's keep moving here and think about, you know, we, we've talked about legal, we've talked about financial a bit, and then there's also, you know, the emotional, which for many people is like the biggest component of the divorce, at least in terms of what consumes a lot of our energy. And so what are the things that kind of, you know, we, we should be thinking about or can be attending to emotionally that will affect things? Well, first you can help your current finances as you're going through the divorce by not trying to get your emotional help from your lawyer uh, because they are not trained to deal with this. You do want a therapist or a mediator uh, to, to help you with that piece of it. Um, when we look at the dealing with the emotional divorce, divorce, and how do you tell whether you have one? Well, if the two of you have a balanced view of each other in the marriage and say, okay, it didn't work out. You know, one of us may have been more at fault than the other, or we both agree to this, but it, that's the past. We're not going to argue over that. And look, this marriage gave us wonderful children, so let's be thankful for that piece of it. So it, it also includes whether you found a way to communicate regarding the children, you know, in person, by phone, email, uh, maybe you get together for coffee. But uh, how do you do that? Because you're going to need to over and over again, going back to the examples of change that comes about. Uh, an important thing is whether your new partner is acknowledged as a member of the team for the children. This is where step parents or the person you're living with who is taking on a lot of the uh, parenting responsibility and, and helping with that, with that as well is just are they recognized or do you have a situation where that person is never going to spend time with my kids? I don't want them part of this conversation. So if you're not ready to be able to deal with that together, then you're not ready to do the repartnering. You know, I mean, I'm sitting there and looking, I got to say, like I'm having chills going through my body right now in terms of thinking about, you know, this acknowledging, and I imagine when you say acknowledging, it's acknowledging on both sides. Right? It is. You know, that you, as the one who has a new partner or wants a new partner, is ready to acknowledge and then um, their other parent, the children's other parent, you know. And you just pointed out the key person in all of this, the parent not the new partner, and really not even the old partner, but the person in the middle is the one who's responsible for dealing with the ex and saying, okay, look, we have got to deal with this one way or another, whether we have to go back into court, you know, whatever we need to do, we need to recognize that this person is here in my life, they're here to stay, and they are part of uh, living with our children, and you need to acknowledge that. I don't want you to badmouth them, uh, either to, to their faces or to the children. Uh, you know, this is just not helping the kids. And what you really work on is that, hey, we are a team that is supporting the children. Right. You know, it was interesting. I was just watching on Netflix um, Parenthood. I'm a little behind the rest of the world, so I'm only watching Parenthood now. But, <laughs> you know, there, <laughs> there is this scene, and, you know, the, the parents have – Lit, and there is a child, a, a young boy in the middle, and the mom is repartnering with someone, and the new partner goes and gets football tickets to take the son to this football game. You know, he's got a lot more resources and things like that, and he goes, and, you know, the dad comes to his office and walks in and basically says, you're not doing this. You are not taking my son to his first football game. And 
and, you know, has this thing. And it's like there are certain things that are just going to be reserved for dad. And, you know, then ultimately the the new partner comes in and he hands over the tickets to him and says, you take him to his first game. And he also says, and I'm here to stay and I'm going to be part. And, you know, it was really, if you haven't watched Parenthood, <laughs> you know, it, it certainly raises a lot of these kind of Parenthood-like issues. But it was a really, you know, intense and profound moment of, you know, each one of them trying to figure out, establish boundaries and figure out, like, what is my role here now and what, you know, what domain do I have? Well, that, that's exactly the case. And let's use that example. Uh, where was mom in all this when the new partner, and by the way, I have seen the show, spoiler alert, they don't stay together. <laughs> but but uh, you, you've got a case where mom had to have known what her new partner at that time was planning to do, and why didn't she speak up? I mean, whether it's mom or dad who is the person in the middle, they have a much bigger responsibility for the way things work out in their family going forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's really the big takeaway here that if I, whichever parent is the one that is repartnering or repartnering first um, and ultimately whichever of them repartner, if they both do, that there is a really big responsibility that comes with that. And sometimes marriages are ending because there's already somebody else in the picture. And, you know, I think what we're saying here is for that person, it's incumbent upon them to be really mindful and to seek out support because it is a difficult role to play and there is a lot of feelings to negotiate here and a lot that can impact how you know well this goes not only for the adults but especially for the children as well. So I know we have to move on, but I think this was such an important piece to just spend a few minutes on. Well, uh, let me also make a comment with regard to the new partner. Uh, the response was absolutely the correct one, and they were mature and adult enough to make it. I didn't realize that this was going to be the first uh, game, and of course you should be the person to do it. Now, who was, who was the bigger person there? I mean, so this is an understanding of the roles. Uh, you know, moms and dads uh, parenting with uh, stepmoms and stepdads, and here was a man who thought he'd have this wonderful opportunity to bond with the child and yet heard clearly that it wasn't the time. So when everybody is reasonable and when there's enough money, a lot of these problems go away. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and when money is tight, like things can be exacerbated too, which is just also important to acknowledge. And, you know, for us to try to do our own internal work of separating out like what might be an anxiety being driven by money and what is really tied to something else, because otherwise when we clump them all together, we can just really, you know, not respond well. Right, right. Yeah. So I want to make sure we keep moving to certain places I want to get to. So what I'd like to do is I know that there's sort of like, you know, practical pieces we haven't covered as much, but I really want to make sure that we, um, you know, get to the integration of talking about, or we want to talk about step and blended families. So if I can, you know, just invite you, we've been talking about some of the things that are really important in a good divorce. And so if you were to kind of give people key tips, you know, what are the advantages to really, really working hard through a difficult process to make it a good divorce? Like, what would those be? (laughs) Well, a, a very practical one is, can you look yourself in the mirror every day? 
And if you can, you're probably doing things that are best for everyone, especially the children. It's that positive self-esteem, and that's an internal thing with the divorce. You know, externally, uh, you know, do the extended family and social friendships continue? And if they do, the children are going to have fewer loyalty conflicts. And from a practical standpoint, an angry divorce keeps on giving financially. Mm. You know, with the money that I have watched people spend to maintain that mad with regard to the divorce, they could both take separate vacations. Yeah, I know, right? So, you know, you have some... And I know that, like, the bad divorce, of course, does all the opposite of that, and that keeps on giving in so many ways. So, you know, in terms of, like, the bottom line, you know, to this discussion about divorce, like, what's the bottom line to all this? Uh, well, first of all, you had mentioned the, the why divorces go bad, and not everything is based on the people involved. The characteristics of the legal system are a main problem with divorce, with the timing. And you need to understand that divorce is guided by state law, not by federal law. So every state has a slightly different way of dealing with it, how long it takes, uh, what the couple needs to go through, the whole thing. So you've got the characteristics of the legal system, whether the couple is uninterested in mediation and counseling, how the be- divorcing behaviors behave, divorcing partners, excuse me, behave, and also the way that the adults treat the children. That makes a huge difference. So we're back to attitude. And if you're going to have a product of a bad divorce, it's going to be an unworkable agreement, and the two of you are continue to be bitter and feel that nobody won in this sort of thing, and nobody does. You need to work together. You've got the attitudes of the new partner. They may be coming in and saying, okay, um, I'm going to pretend this is the only family. So all of your family from before and your former in-laws, they don't exist anymore, which is not real. Sometimes the new partner comes in and says, I'm going to replace the biological mother or father because they didn't do such a good job. Mm. Won't work. Sometimes they say, oh, this poor child of divorce, I'm going to do everything to make them feel better about it. Not the new partner's job. So again, I come back to moms and stepmoms parenting with dads and stepdads. Yeah. You know, I love, you wrote something that you sent to me that I absolutely love as sort of the capstone here. And you wrote this, and you said, the most difficult part of divorce I almost want to quote this and, like, put it on a website. The most difficult part of divorce does not take place in your attorney's, mediator's, or collaborative team's office. It occurs in your mind through the process of disconnecting, rearranging, and rebuilding your thoughts and feelings. It's about whether you create a negative or a positive attitude because this attitude will carry over into and actually could put everything into your future, but you put here into new relationships. And it is really, I mean, I read that when you sent it to me, and I'm like, what, like, that is, that encapsulates this, the real divorce is what goes on in our mind, and in that transition we make, not the other pieces. And that was really powerful. Well, that that is the primary bottom line. I mean, the attitude. And I just let's remind folks that a workable parenting plan is a gift of love to your children. 
So, you know, with that, and, you know, I'm being really conscious of time, too, because we could be on here for a very long time. I'm, I'm already like, oh, my gosh, I have to have you on for another hour. But, you know, when we think about um, step families, blended families, like these are two terms that get tossed around a lot. So we're now transitioning from the divorce into, like, what happens afterwards. We've got this new partner and things like that. So help us understand these terms of step family and blended family. Like, what do we mean? Well, there are a lot of different terms for a step family, and uh, the Step Family Association and the Resource Center both prefer step family rather than the others because it's consistent with all the naming of other types of families. You know, you've got biological families, foster families, adoptive families, and so forth. Uh, And the reality is that even though blended families is a cozy and catchy phrase that the media loves, it's not what happens nor should it. The members don't lose their individuality and they do not lose their connection with the former family. It's an act of attachment to the parent and extended family that are not part of this new family. I mean, uh, think of a quilt where all the pieces are different, but together they form a beautiful whole. Years ago, parents had a lot of children. Today, children have a lot of parents. So it's no longer the traditional family structure. And healthy step families recognize the children have two families, and they don't solely blend into one new one. You know, it's so funny that you say that, and I'm sitting here picturing, right, the farm family that would have, like, five, six, seven children or something like that. And now, you know, you can have a child who has, you know, four parents, two biological, two step, or maybe even more if there's a third marriage, and then they might have multiple sets of grandparents. And that whole shifting, I mean, it, it's it's really an interesting, you know, way of thinking about that. Um and so, you know, these step families really can be very large, right? You know, that we just grow them. Uh, yeah, they, uh, you know, it, it's not a family tree, it's a family forest. Mm. And I've got to tell you, it's wonderful with all of these people, but you need to have the right attitude. And so everything keeps coming back to your attitude. So, you know, And it's not totally easy. So in terms of these big families, you know, and creating big families, what are some of the things that people might encounter that are going to provide some challenges or going to, you know, cause them to be like, hmm, what do I do here? Well, (laughs) uh, first of all, just recognize that all, not all problems are going to be step-family problems. You know, you've got the terrible twos, the teen angst, it has nothing to do with the set family status. That's just a process that the kids are going to go through that will drive the adults crazy, all of them. But uh, some of the biggest step family problems that, that I have seen are when the, there's an incomplete financial and legal divorce, and I'm talking emotionally as well as practically. And if you remarry before you've completed that emotional divorce, and in the United States, it's lack of preparation I've worked with people who are both dealing with step families from a legal and a financial and emotional standpoint, and also the step families themselves. And just a Japan story, for instance, uh, over a period of a couple of weeks in a number of different uh, cities in Japan, I was asked to speak about this combining families and how it all works. And I would say that, yes, we had professionals there, therapists, lawyers, and so forth, but the bulk of the people there were couples who were considering repartnering. That has never happened in the United States. Mm. People think they know everything there is to know about families because they've been married before. 
or, you know, the, they are professionals, but they say, well, I've been divorced and remarried, so I know, and they don't get good information to pass on to themselves or figure out how to avoid some of these problems coming up. So that preparation piece is huge, and there are so many resources available, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, the unrealistic expectations, which I had mentioned earlier, you know, things that there will be instant love that I can take over and, and manage things. And the step-parent, step-child relationship, which is probably the key thing in terms of whether there's success or failure in the repartnering. You know, and I feel like we could actually spend an entire time just talking about the step-parent, um, step-child relationship because, you know, it, it seems like there's, there's so many things, like the age of the children might matter, how, you know, when the step-parent enters into the picture and how closely associated the children's other parent is physically and emotionally and other. I mean, it just seems like there is so much going on there. So I know we can't really fully step into that, but I'm appreciative of the fact that we're raising it here, as you said, like the folks in Japan who are coming to learn about it and say there's something, there's a whole like body of things maybe to examine here that both for the step-parent and for the child, the parent who is repartnering, they're like, all right, take some time. Like you've got to like, delve in and explore this the same way you might be delving in and exploring like if you were going to take up a new job and get training in it because this really is a new Right. Well, one of one of the things that people don't realize when they repartner is that in the United States and and basically fairly pretty much around the world, there is no legal relationship between the step parent and the stepchild, and that has an emotional uh, component that is problematic, but also a practical one. Uh, and you need a way to work around that. For instance, you can create documents that show parental consent with regard to notices to schools, doctors, after-school activities, that the step-parent is another adult who cares for the children, and this is how you can reach the step-parent if the parent is not available. In other words, you've given them permission to speak on your behalf. Uh, request that the schools... Uh, and, and also the after-school activities send duplicate notices to both homes. Uh, that would be so simple, and yet quite often it's not what happens. Uh, also, even within the household, if the biological parent deputizes the step-parent as in charge when the parent isn't there, that helps a whole lot rather than getting this, you're not my mom or you're not my dad, uh, you know, from, from the kids, again, depending upon it the age that, that they would be saying those kinds of things. But it makes it official that the step-parent is in charge when the parent is not there. And that is helpful, uh, particularly if that discussion is had with both the step-parent and the children present. Right, and there are a lot of things, and I think, um, you know, something that, we haven't even talked about, but I imagine that as we're putting, you know, families together and even thinking about my own experiences, you know, for the, the parent who is repartnering, you know, to creating some new rituals, like allowing holidays to evolve or celebrations or things like that to evolve in ways that include the new partner in it because the children might be used to what's happened in the past, the, the you know, parent who's repartnering might be used to what's happened in the past and that there really is an evolution to creating new culture and new memories and new structures and things that recognizing that that's going to be essential for any step parent to be able to fully feel part of a family. 
Uh, it's it's very true. I can I can think of another legal person uh, reason for doing this too. You can create a notarized statement that the step parent has the authority to give consent for medical procedures if neither parent can be reached. I created this oh my gosh about twenty years ago and have to admit that Steve and I have used a variation of it when we take our grandchildren on trips or they spend time with us without their parents. Yeah. And like in terms of just sharing a little bit about, you know, kids' relationship, like, you know, if we were to put the the glasses on of the child here who now has perhaps another a step-parent and step-grandparents and step-cousins and aunts and uncles and all those things, you know, how did they perceive this world from your experience? Uh, the The extra people sometimes are very welcome because hey, which child doesn't like to have extra presents at holidays and birthdays and so forth? Step-parents come into that picture. In our own situation, uh, we are the step-parents of uh, two of our grandchildren, but uh, step-grandparents, but all of their biological parents have died. So we're it as far as those kids are concerned. And I think because of that, we take that role as their uh, grandparents a little more seriously than we might otherwise. Uh, And these children have become part of our family, obviously. They do things with us. We all had a family vacation a couple of years ago. Uh, So there is that role that the kids are happy to have that, that extra as long as the biological parent doesn't make it more difficult. Uh, do you remember seeing the stepmom movie quite a while ago uh, where the, the scene was that the young boy, about eight years old, was talking about all the fun things he was doing with his stepmom and, you know, and he, he really liked her and she was pretty and all those things. And then he noticed his mother's face and immediately he shifted course and said, but I'll hate her if you want me to. Yeah, I mean, for those who are listening, this is Stepmom with Susan Sarandon, Julie Roberts, and Ed Harris, and um, it was a 1998 film, Stepmom, and, you know, I think as you're raising, right, I mean, kids are so perceptive, and it is a great movie that really kind of just introduces just a lot of the complexities of things that we've talked about, but in a very visual way, right? I mean, it's right there. Well, it it is very visual, and quite honestly, it is the only movie about stepfamilies I've seen that's neither slapstick nor cruel. And I worked with Columbia Pictures when they were doing this, and also after the movie came out, uh, I fielded the questions that came into the Columbia uh, Pictures site uh, about things that people were asking. Okay, here's my situation. What do I do? So let's pick up on that and like, okay, so how do people find resources, you know, if they're really, they're thinking about this and, you know, how can they learn more? How can they do their research? How can they do their homework? How can they get support? What are some of the places they can go? Sure. Uh, There are support groups uh, throughout the United States that are there. a, a very good place is to look at the National Step Family Resource Center. The Step Family Association of America stopped being a membership organization, and we focus now primarily on educating people uh, without there being a fee involved. And that website has lots of good resources, plus you can send questions in. Uh, the address is www.stepfamilies.com. S-T-E-P-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S dot info. And so there will be a wealth of information that will also send you to other directions. 
Great. And are there any of the other places here that you want to, any other things that you want to mention? Or is most, you know, we can get to a lot of resources from there. Will people be able to find support groups from there? Or how would they identify a support group in there? Uh, they may be able to find support groups. But frankly, uh, the, web, <laughs> the web has all sorts of information. So you can just put in support, uh, Step Family Support in your area to see if anything uh, comes up. Um, and there are therapists certainly everywhere, and you could ask them uh, for immediate resources in, in your area. Right, and on that, I would say, you know, as people, if people are seeking out counseling or therapists, to really look for people who, you know, have some experience, background, and specializing in working with step families so that it's not, you know, simply a generalized thing, but really some, because there are people who specifically, you know, have worked and specialized in this or have written about it and things like that where they can provide very specific resources. So we have just a moment here for some final thoughts from you. So, you know, as we're closing out here, um, what would you want to leave people with? Well, we mentioned size, and so I will just repeat that remarriage or repartnering expands the original family, they're not replaced. And just think about it. If you have children, you're, you're going to be connected to each other. Graduations, weddings, grandchildren. So it's not just at a point in time. It's forever. And when the time comes, I think it is extremely important for the bio parents to give children specific verbal permission to form a relationship with their partners, uh, with their ex's new partner. And as I say, I'll hate her if you want me to. Uh, See, that just keeps coming back over and over again. And the children feel torn. They don't want to be away from the bio parent if they think that they're going to be lonely, unhappy. And so it's sort of go, have a good time, and I will talk with you when you get back. But have a good time while you're there. Mm. Uh, Another thing that's probably the biggest is that all families of every kind want the same things, a loving, supportive adult relationship and healthy, happy, and socially well-adjusted children. Yeah, and, you know, I think that that's the case. And sometimes I, you know, like just to add that sometimes the gift we have to give ourselves in divorce and post-divorce in order to achieve that is a gift of time. You know, things can get very intense, but, like, we're going to be in this for the long haul, right? You know, we're, we're going to be in this for the long haul, and sometimes creating some time to allow, you know, the attitude of positivity and the attitude of making it work and the attitude of really going towards what matters, the gift of time can be really critical in doing that. And I know people have heard me say that before, and I'll probably, you know, always say is to, Give space, give time as you're going through difficult things and think in terms of time that we're in this for the long haul and, you know, what's going to be good down the road. And I think, you know, I also want to, as you said, invite people, if you've not seen um, the movie Stepmom or if you happen to be at a stage where it feels like a good idea, I know I've seen that movie multiple times, and it really does bring a lot of things to the forefront. So, you know, Marjorie, you have really um, provided us with just a tremendous tremendous amount of resource. I'm imagining people like their hands were hurting trying to write down as fast as you were talking of the kinds of things. And there will be a replay available of this to everybody who's registered so you can go back and you can listen and capture things again. But, you know, Marjorie, I want to really say thank you so much for sharing your experience and expertise and wisdom on this with us. It's been such a gift. 
Well, Adina, I, I think it's fantastic that you were willing to have a discussion about where divorce connects into the rest of your life. So important. So for people listening in, how can you reach out? And certainly you can, if you are considering mediation and you're in the Philadelphia area, mainlinemediator.com or myhealthydivorce.com. And there are not, there's, tons of resources, whether you're ready to mediate or you're just thinking about it. I, it is one of the most prolific resources I know of, um, websites I know of with resources around healthy divorce. So please stop by and visit that. Um, you can visit me at divorceessentials.net. And Marjorie has given you great resources in terms of stepfamilies.info to reach out for resources there. So we really want you to, to find the information and reach out to us for support. hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.